welcome to the Geek Night Inn, episode 52. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm here this week with Tilly. Hi. And Gemma. Hello. And Kate. Hey. Woo, we're all here. Hooray. Woo. <laughs> was that a ghost? <laughs> yes, I'm a couple of days late at this no, point. No, it's, it's a Halloween <laughs> Yeah, but uh, by the time this goes up, I will be several days late. But I guess that was a ghost, maybe. It who, was. who knows? I'm your host, Laura, as always, and this week we're going to talk about geeky stuff. So, who's got a geeky thing they want to start with? I could talk about my nerdy Halloween. Tell yeah. us about your nerdy Halloween, because you you used a lot of scary words to describe. Like you, you were very passionate about your Halloween in our pre-chat. Scary words? I can't remember what you said, but you sounded like you were very like, mine's going to be the best. No one's going to have a story like mine. Oh, no. I, I was safe in my um, assumption that I had the nerdiest and gothiest. Well, nothing for Halloween. Oh, yeah. Nerdy like, and what? gothy sounds scary to me. I saw the me. Martian. <laughs> oh, what did you, oh, we'll talk about that afterwards. Cause I, I've been... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was nerdy insofar as... It, uh, well, okay, I'll start with the gothy bit because that's more fun bit. Basically, I spent six hours in Stockholm's uh, Northern Burial Ground. Uh, with candlelit gravestones in twilight and at night, because night falls really I, early here now. I don't mean to sigh, but that is... If I was going to guess how you were going to spend Halloween, Gemma, that is 100% without any like corrections what I would have guessed. That's However, so cool! Like, that is list. really cool. That is, like, that is Gemma in a graveyard with candles. That's really awesome, but that is very Gemma. <laughs> but the plot twist is I spent the six hours walking... Uh, seemingly about 19 kilometers uh, getting ingress portals. Okay. That's there's pretty a, geeky. There's a, an ingress mission for Stockholm's Nora Begravningsplatz, which takes you around, uh, I think it's 37 portals for um, notable people who were buried there. Um, oh. The reason it's so damn long to walk is basically the person put them all in alphabetical order and declared that you have to get all the portals in order. So we had to cross <laughs> back and forth over this graveyard so many times. Like, that sounds I, a little bit ridiculous. It was ridiculous, but it was the sort of thing where we got started and we kept going because we didn't want to give up the progress and we couldn't face the prospect of doing this again. But it was kind of fun. It was um, my husband and a, a friend of ours and I all wandering around as uh, basically All Saints Eve was being observed. So uh, seemingly in Scandinavia and possibly other Germanic countries, I haven't actually researched this, they celebrate All Saints Eve um, by having candles placed around gravestones and quite a lot of people go to visit the burial ground. So when we were there, there was basically a constant stream of cars going through this graveyard there is also a bus route going through the burial ground it's that big and that's where i get the public transport twist i suppose um of course yeah. you had to get public transport in there somewhere <laughs> yeah. but yeah like hundreds of people milling around and it was all quite a sort of friendly and interesting space to be i was also quite amused there was one grave um who i have to assume the person who was buried there like really enjoyed halloween because the entire grave was decked out with like glowing LED skeleton faces and like, <laughs> Halloween trinkets and stuff. <laughs> it was quite ridiculous. You uh, had a much cooler Halloween than I did. Yeah, and I like, did nothing cool like that. I didn't I didn't I just worked. Like sometimes I'll watch films and stuff, but 
because I got back from holiday and because just this month has been so rubbish, I just kind of forgot it existed and was like, oh. Well, okay. I had as well. I mean, it took a moment for me to realise, oh, yeah, it's Halloween. And then, I, like, following yeah. this trail of, like, famous dead Swedish people ending up at the tomb of Alfred Nobel and just, like, hanging out with him on Halloween. <laughs> I, yeah. All I did was I played some Undertale, which did mean dating a skeleton. But that's, you know, it's it, that's dating a skeleton isn't really what you're meant to do on Halloween. No, it is. It is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the topic of ingress, both my mother and my biological father really, really into ingress to the point that, like, probably the first time in a multiple years that I've been out somewhere with both of them with both of my biological parents was when the two of them contacted me last week to say hey do you want to come out and do ingress portals with us <laughs> um you were born to be a nerd apparently so i didn't realize my parents were quite that nerdy they this is the geek night in's fault both of my par- biological parents neither of whom play video games have spent time together for the first time in years because Gemma recommended Ingress and my <laughs> mum listened to the show. Like This is like a lifetime movie. This is this does seem like the beginning of a movie in which like, you know, oh it's everything happens and they get back together. They're not gonna get back together. Never gonna happen. But, but Ingress will happen. In in a it movie. Cool it seems fun. like this is the beginning of that movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what what is my life? What is going on? Ingress. Ingress is a weird thing. Um <laughs> I found out there are several unclaimed portals near my flat, so I went and got them because both of my parents went and scouted out unclaimed portals for me because I was lagging behind them in progress. So it's kind of like geocaching. It's basically the, sci-fi. It's the digital version of geocaching. That is you the You still have to thing go to those places, don't you? Yeah, you go to the physical place and mm, nah, once you're like there, you log into your phone and like hack stuff and do digital things. This sounds like so much effort. Um, my my mum has been doing it basically because she drives a lot for her work. She's put oh, her, okay. she's put her phone into her um like sat nav holder on her car, <laughs> and like if she's stopped in traffic or stopped at traffic lights, she'll just look. Oh, is there a portal nearby? Right, I'll tap it once, hack it. I won't think about it again till next time that I stop, like I'm stopped in the car at traffic lights or something. And she'll just hack portals as she's driving around for work. That's pretty. That is pretty like metal, to be honest. Yeah, and. She's going to have a hard time explaining like, to the police why she's crashed if she ever crashes. It's like, <laughs> oh, I was collecting digital energy and trying to like, link up these portals to like, you know, control some mines. She made her first like, triangle of portals this week and had like 15 people under her control. <laughs> so she was very excited about that. She started taking different routes home in order to keep playing Ingress. I'm like, well done, mum, well done. And it is nice doing the missions, actually, particularly going out to do it for the day. I mean, that's precisely what we did. Admittedly, my friend invited us uh, to do this thing because the mission is kind of local to where she lives. Uh, On the assumption it would be like two or three hours rather than six. Uh, It turns (laughs) out I think the person who invented this mission like did it via bicycle or something. Um, But yeah. we went out for the day to do an ingress thing and ended up discovering quite a lot about like we've seen astrid strunberry's grave and i've just found out that the first uh graveyard on this the first grave on this mission was the uh the first woman to attend and complete a swedish university course and then went on to teach at the university Um, so all this this learning 
How exciting. What lovely company you had on Halloween. Yeah. Also, my feet now really kill because it turns out walking 19 kilometers is quite hard. But hey. I can imagine. Um, In terms of scary things this week, I want to talk a little bit about Gravity Falls quickly because uh, Gemma, you watched the beginning of that and didn't really get into it. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I am up to date now on Gravity Falls and without spoiling too much, um, what started off as like a children's, very family friendly version of like a Welcome to Night Vale type thing. Um, The season, well, the penultimate episode of the season, the most recent one that's aired, my goodness, that got really, really dark and twisted for a kids show. Um, I'm going to give two two very quick examples of things that happen, just to give an idea of tone. Um, a person's facial orifices are switched in function, so that they're like seeing through their eyes and smelling through their ears. And this happens in an instant, and the person panics freaks out, falls to the floor, screaming, and their family scream. And more than that, it's like an eyeball pops out of their mouth. and like Yeah, and there's like nostrils in the ears. Yeah, it's... As a punishment for something, someone is magically has all of their facial orifices switched, and it's kind of terrifying. To be fair, it doesn't start well with facial orifices. You know nothing good is going to happen. Yeah, it's it's never going to happen. Basically, that person was trying to... uh, trying to suck up to someone and that was the response they got was nope gonna do that that to you there's also floating pockets of madness and one of them flies like through someone and just as it comes away from them they're just screaming and fall to the floor in a fetal position this is a disney channel show (laughs) i mean the this episode is fantastic it is amazing but my goodness it takes a left turn in tone that i did not think I it was definitely signposting that it would head there. I didn't think it would actually go there. I am very interested to see what they do with the end of this show because as I understand like the next episode is the last one they're planning to do of this show. My goodness, it makes it a bit of a it's going to be interesting to see whether I recommend this show or not after its last one. I'm very curious to see where it goes. Um so yeah, there was that. Um Tilly, I know you've got a thing to talk about today. Yes, it's is... NaNoWriMo. What is NaNoWriMo? It's National Novel Writing Month, where you have to write a novel in a month, and I'm going to die. It's the last month of my life. <laughs> yeah, do you want to... <laughs> uh, where, where do you want to start with NaNoWriMo? Do you want to tell us about the book you're writing? Or do you um, want to start by telling us about the party that you went to? Uh, I'll start with the book. Because the party we can like move on with. Okay, um, tell us tell us about the book. But the book that I'm writing is going to be I'm working on something different to what I've been working on for the last like two years. <laughs> um. So, hopefully, it's going to be really cool. But it's like it's all sci-fi and um, futuristic, and it's like set on another planet, and there's this disease, and there's a boy and his dad and his cousins and it's just it's um yeah it's gonna be really cool if i can get it finished and i don't die hurrah i was expecting you to go into the lengthy version you gave me last night i thought you were gonna basically be like here is the entire plot synopsis on the podcast of every plot point no because that could take up the entire podcast Uh, it's only gonna take about 10 minutes or so judging by last night (laughs) 
no one I could go on about it for the entire podcast to be honest I'm really excited about this new project um I've been stuck in such a rut with um obviously the the other book that I've been writing for two years um I've just been stuck on it so I'm really excited to get into something new do you want to talk a little bit about the idea that started this one that's very different to the idea it now has um yeah well the idea was originally that it was going to be um like it was going to be about the fallibility of parents and like realizing that your parents aren't perfect and that even though they seem like these all-powerful like all-knowing beings when you're a kid like realizing that they're actually humans is a lot better for your relationship Hmm. um and then it turned into something else because real life is boring yeah you started off with this very grounded thing that you were like it's it's you know it probably needs to be a real sort of real life story then it became like maybe i'll put it in a fantasy setting and now it's about space disease space disease space disease (laughs) i have got the space disease so, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing for NaNoWriMo. Woo! Space and disease. Do you, want, do you want to talk a little bit from there about the party you went to for the launch of NaNoWriMo? Uh, yeah, we had uh, a launch party for NaNoWriMo. Um, the um, people, uh, like the regional party. I'm sorry, I've worked a 13-hour shift. That's like perfectly... office organiser people. Yeah. Oh, so cool. for like Dorset, um, we had a, a like a kickoff party, mm. and, and they made you wear monocles and moustaches and have pipes. Yeah, it was really cool. They we had we got like goodie bags, and um... I'm really jealous. I I was I'm not a fiction writer, so I didn't go to this. I saw her goodie bag and her monocle and her pipe, and I wish I had gone. Well, <laughs> yeah, we remember got... when we had the moustaches today? Yes. Sorry, I'm not Tilly. I got excited about the moustaches. They were good. Me and Tilly looked amazing. (laughs) I looked amazing again. Um, And uh, we had to... um, We decided we were going to... All of us had, like, moustaches and monocles and pipes and things. And so we were like, we're all going to set our profile picture on the NaNoWriMo website to those selfies. Mm. So then people who like are just browsing the forums will maybe come across the Dorset one and be like, what the fuck is wrong with the Dorset? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What the fuck happened yeah. here? So you, you played some, some um, games while you were there and I was very jealous of these games. Because we did, yes. We I, played a couple of um, really good story game, uh, party games that I think um, would be a lot of fun. There's one of them we don't know the name of. But yeah, it I sounds know, really cool. I don't know what the name of, but basically, um, you're all you have to make your up a name. You play like a noble person at a party. Um, so your name would be like Baroness von Claptrap or whatever. Do you remember what yours was from the party? I have my sticker still. It was Captain Tillaru. <laughs> Mine would obviously um, be Sir Digby and Caesar. Of course. Uh, <laughs> funny, um, funny story. I'm currently using a Pokemon called Sir Digby Chicken Caesar. What? Oh, come on. I will get to this in a bit. <laughs> um. <laughs> so yeah. So you you make up your name, and then you have like a box of prompts, and the prompts are like so. Uh, the person on your left takes a prompt and says to you, so. Um, whatever name you've chosen, 
um, tell us about the time you, um, what was one of the ones from last night? Tell us the story of how half the fish that come into Antwerp Harbour belong to you. <laughs> um, and then you get given five minutes and you have to make up a story on the spot. Uh, and then you, everyone gets given counters and they can challenge your story. They can be like, no, it didn't happen like that. It happened like this. Yeah, and it can't be nitpicky things. But um, you can interrupt and you can, you have to start your interruption with but Baroness or but Duke or whatever. Um, and then they can either choose to accept your coin, token, whatever. Um, every time you interrupt, you have to hand them a token and they can either accept it and incorporate your interruption into their story or they can put a counter of their own into the middle and then just insult you and tell you that you're wrong and be like well you shouldn't believe that i can't believe you believe such lies you're an idiot and your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries <laughs> and um, then the rest of the group am i right did they decide then who was right no no? What happens to those tokens then? <gasps> we kind of got a bit carried away and we completely forgot about the tokens. You got too into a good, <laughs> I think a good dinner party game is supposed to kind of just set you up and then you all go a little bit mad. Yeah, yeah. It, it's meant to facilitate creativity, which it sounds like this did really well. And Yeah, we all got mm, a little bit overexcited. Yeah. If, if anyone out there knows what this game is, do let us know the name. I sort helpful. of do, in that I know that it was on tabletop at some point. Yeah, I but remember. But there's no easy way to look up the games that are put I, on tabletop. I had the same problem. I went looking through tabletop to see if I could find something of this, I, of this description. Couldn't find it, but I know that it's been done. So we will try and find what it was, because I really want to play this on the podcast sometime. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a copy of the instructions that we can like send you guys if you want. Mm. Ooh, and the other one you played was Avalon. Yes. Tell oh. us about Avalon. Uh, yeah. So someone is King Arthur, and they. Um... Indeed, I am. <laughs> and I think you you play with. I don't know how many people you play with. But a certain number of good guys and a certain number of bad guys. And you get sent on a bunch of missions. King Arthur chooses who goes on the missions, but he doesn't know who the good guys or the bad guys are. And you know if you're a good guy or a bad guy. The bad guys all know who each other are. And the good guys don't know who the bad guys are, apart from Merlin, who knows who the bad guys are. But mm. the bad guys don't know who Merlin is. Does this make sense or have I lost anyone? It, it 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 is quite intricate like that, but yeah, it's it's enough to know that basically it's a whole load of subterfuge. And while you do have characters like Merlin who does know who everyone is, he can't reveal himself because one way to uh, for the bad guys to win the game is to assassinate Merlin. So all he can do is drop clues about whoever the uh, assassins and thugs are, and you have to express that in terms of basically how you form your parties. So as the game goes on. Uh, you have to be more and more political about who you pick for your party because you need all these, a certain number of these missions to succeed. Hmm. Yeah, unless um, King Arthur is a bad guy, which he can be. 
And if King Arthur is a bad guy, then he has to be careful not to reveal himself. Because obviously King Arthur changes mm. um, every turn. Yeah. If so, people are familiar what? with this the Resistance, it's a lot like that. It's basically the medieval version of Resistance. Uh, Resistance is a game I was about to talk about, which, again, is very similar. You've got good team, bad team. You've got to work out, like, oh, this mission failed. That means there's one of the bad team in the people we sent on this mission. Therefore, who in the, of those people do we think is is on the bad team? And trying to work out who's who. It's a really good game, and as I understand it, Avalon's a very similar game, so I suspect I would really enjoy Avalon. Avalon's a lot of fun. Woo! I... I well, called someone I just met a cocksucker. <laughs> we got very heated. Sounds like nine worlds. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is a good one for getting heated, actually. And it's actually uh, given one of my lightsaber clan her battle name. Oh, <laughs> What's her battle that? name? Well, it's actually because she she insisted that for the entire first round that she was Merlin, when she actually wasn't. Um, and she insi- carried this on to the second round, in which she actually was Merlin, but none of us believed her. <laughs> so her oh. and her name is Moa, so it's now like she's now Molin. <laughs> it's just yeah. we combined her real name and Merlin. So yeah, yeah. Um, on the topic of sort of like fun party games, I picked one up recently while I was at MCM that is a really interesting card game that fosters creativity in a group, which I really like. Um, it's called Bucket of Doom, and <laughs> basically the idea is you have two sets, uh, two sets of cards. One of them is scenarios in which doom could befall you. So it might be, you're on a plane, there's a lot of snakes on this plane. Or, um, I don't know, you're in, you're in the ocean, there is a ravenous beaver, your legs are made of wood. Some kind of situation in which something bad is probably going to happen to you. And the other set of cards that you have like a hand of ten cards from at all times is a set of useless items. And that could be like a cheese grater or a plastic bag or a pack of Cheerios. And you have to argue, like you have to select one card from your hand and argue to the rest of the group how you're going to use that item to get out of this situation. And whoever was reading out the scenario has to pick who they think won. (laughs) And it's all about creating long, elaborate stories for how your item's going to get you through this. So, great example, there was one uh, while I was playing this at at MCM in which um, the person reading out the card had basically said, I was an orc in the Battle of Helm's Deep in in Lord of the Rings and my ladder had been pulled out from under me, so I'm about to fall down to my death and I need to scale the wall and I'm I'm falling. So, I told a story involving a packet of pop rocks. And my story basically involved the fact that before the Battle of Helm's Deep, the orcs had all had a big, you know, just to get us all pumped up, we had a big party. And there was a lot of a lot of junk food there, including these pop rocks. I ate far too many pop rocks. Pop rocks create gas. I farted pop rock gas and flew, like not only did it slow my descent, but it flew me back up to the top of the wall so I could continue fighting in the Battle of Helm's Deep. And my prompt there was Pop Rocks. So it's a fun game for coming up with stupid, silly stories. <laughs> I do love games like that. Yeah. So that's a fun one. I really like Bucket of Doom. It's your sort of... I, I've i heard people compare it to something like Cards Against Humanity. 
the big difference, the two big differences being a, it's not nearly so focused on shock value, mm-hmm. and b, it requires some creativity from the players rather than just ha 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 we said a rude thing, which you know there is a time and place for it being funny to say a rude thing, but sometimes it's it's more amusing to be like. I have just a plastic bag at my disposal. How am I going to argue that that's going to get me away from this ravenous tiger? My friend um, had to make up a story about um, how she... What was it? She fostered Anglo-Chinese relations with a blancmange. (laughs) (laughs) And and it turned into this... um, She had to go to Antarctica to milk penguins because the penguins have nipples under their wings that they use to suckle their young and she had to bring the penguin milk back to England to make this blamanche for the emperor of China it was like it sounds it was, like it was shocking like how quickly she came up with it <laughs> like i feel like she'd had it already she'd had it maybe put away for a later story she wanted to write Speaking of countries of the world like Antarctica, see that segue. And Kate, doom. Kate, you've and got doom. a you've got a, a country that you'd like to talk about. I also think it's a country. Doom. Also it's doom. Been... A country I think maybe it wasn't a country that befell some doom you'd like to talk about. Yeah, it wasn't a country, but Basically, I went to Italy last week with my mum and my sister. We stayed in a place called Sorrento, which is just south of um, Naples, in the Bay of Naples. And very close to it is a little place called Pompeii, which, you know, had some bad things happen to it. I've heard that some things very bad happened to the people who lived there. Like, I think we're allowed to make jokes because it was, like, 2,000 years ago. So, you know, that the time has passed, quite literally. Yeah, but, but... the Doctor Who episode was only, like, three years ago, so it's still fresh. Oh, slight side note. Um, the creator of Welcome to Night Vale spent, like, half an hour bashing Stephen Moffat on Twitter the other day, and it made me so happy. Oh, my God, <laughs> did we know the... Um... The the writer of um, The Knife of Never Letting Go is doing a spin-off of Doctor Who. Anyway, Karen, Yes, he sorry, is. That's Kate. amazing. Oh. Kate, back to your story That's that we interrupted. Cool. We'll talk about uh, that later. But they basically, obviously, history students, so I was really excited about this. Um, my sister had already been to Pompeii, so she kind of gave us the guide but the, um, and told us what we needed to do. And then she had some bits that she hadn't had a chance to see last time. So she went to them, and it was just me and mum. And it was quite lucky, because mum's got quite bad knees, so she's um, she was worried, like, oh, I'm going to slow you down. But obviously, I wanted to look at everything, so we were actually pretty well-paced. But rather than um, buying the aud- uh, renting the audio guides, which is like 20 euros... There's a podcast that you can download. It's a free podcast Ooh. by a guy called um, Rick Steele or something, but we called him Rick Stein, who's a chef. Um, and it, you know, it's just got a walking kind of podcast. It's about forty minutes long, but it, you, you pause and press play, and you want to re-listen to things. So it did take us about sort of four hours. But it was absolutely incredible because it's so well preserved because of the um, volcano. Um, Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD and uh, was blown over. The ash was blown over to Pompeii and Herculaneum, which is next to Pompeii. And basically it wasn't found properly. I mean, um, at the time people did, people to go back and there was looting and they you know were looking for survivors and things like that. But then it was kind of left alone and forgotten about until like the 15th century, I think it was. Hang on. It was like Napoleonic time. Pompeii. Well, that's 1800s or 1700s at, late, at the earliest. 
Napoleonic era was oh, six, sorry, yeah. Um, the now I'm getting confused with things. The ruins were first discovered um, in the late 16th century by um, an Italian architect called Domenico Fontana. And um, considering how long it was ago, their com- conservation and preservation techniques were quite, um, quite like innovative. And one of the things um, this guy did, or one of the guys did, I can't remember the exact name, I've got. Um, more information about it and I'm hoping to do like a video blog or a blog about it but essentially people always think oh they've still got the bodies but they don't what happened was um, the ash and the uh, the the volcanic ash came over created a layer like a blanket over the city Um, bodies decomposed and left like a cavity kind of thing in the hardened um, ash and when they found in the 16th century these cavities they poured plaster into those into these um, spaces so you had a perfect mould of the body, but it was just kind of bones and things there. So the plasters do have bones in, but it's not like a preserved body like a mummy would be. Um, but a lot of the stuff, a lot of the actual artefacts have been taken to the uh, museum in Naples, which kind of, I mean, from a history student perspective, and like Helen, um, our archaeologist friend, would uh, probably know more about this. But essentially, if you remove um, an artifact from where it's found, you're removing it from context. Mm. So it's been found in that place. It makes sense. You know, you if somebody gives you a pot, great, they've given you a pot. If you find a pot in Pompeii, you know that it's probably from Pompeii. So it's taking it out of context and creating a new context where it lives in a museum in Naples. And, is you know, Naples is kind of thinking of it as, as its culture and as, a, as its history. So, But also there was a lot of pots just like lined up in like sheds almost mm. that I don't know what they're doing to them, whether they're being analyzed at the moment or whether they've analyzed and they're kind of done with them like you know I'd love to get my hands on a pot there and how they're classified and stuff like that which do, um, do we now need to do like a, a plan like a geek night in heist to steal a pot yes, for you a pot from Pompeii an amphorae <laughs> jug yeah but I mean it's absolutely incredible the the mosaics that are still there and the rooms and I mean like on each corner I mean just the way we always think of the Romans as being you know it was a civilization and they did you know what have the Romans ever done for us but stuff like on the street corners there were like benches with these great big circular um kind of uh holes in the benches and that was a fast food joint and those bowls would have would have had soup in and things like that and even in the um on the floor there's grooves where they would have had like a concertina door you know, that slides across. Hmm. And it's just the idea that you can see that. And in the roads, you can see the dents from chariots from 2,000 years ago. It's the same material as what the Romans and the Pompeians would have walked down. And Pompeii is much older than Rome as well. Before Rome, it was Greek. And it was only, I can't remember the exact date, but um, some guy, some dictator called Sulla was like, oh, fuck every Roman town. They're, they're rebelling us against us. I hate them. And kind of put down a rebellion. And there was a huge influx of Roman um, uh, warriors into Pompeii, which kind of pushed the Greek um, influence out. And then they kind of melded and formed their own culture, as happens in history all the time. But with uh, yeah, with the roads, they have, like, so a lot of it is so much older. They, there's a theatre that's Greek, not Roman, so it's even <laughs> older than that. And the theatre was called Odeon, which I quite liked. Uh-huh. I, I was like, yay! Odeon is um, Greek for theatre. And 
there's an amphitheater and then there's a much larger theater which is roman but on the roads there's like these stepping stones and it's just like kind of oval shaped these big um rocks and that was for pedestrians it was like a zebra crossing so they could walk over it because of the water and like basically the feces and things like that that would kind of get pushed through the streets you could just step over it onto the other side of the pavement yeah. and things like they had barriers to make areas pedestrianized because it would be the markets and things like that and I mean you've got like the head of Jupiter from the temple of Jupiter and you've got the um you've got the baths still there and the font still there in the Roman baths and you've got, um, you know, little stumps of shrines that would have been the, to the ancestral gods in somebody's house. And you've got a, a mosaic on the floor that says, beware of the dog. So basically, recommended if you're a history nerd. Oh, I mean, it, if you, I mean, anybody who enjoyed it, mum really enjoyed it. But she did say, because we were talking about it as we went around and we had this podcast. She said, to be honest, if you don't know what you're looking for, it's just a bunch of ruins. You know, it's kind of impressive, mm. but you don't want to spend four hours there. There was a bit, I was in um, a place called the House of Menanda, which is kind of towards the south uh, southeast of the city, towards the um, cemetery necropolis gate, um, which I think leads towards Herculaneum eventually, but also led towards a really nice gelatory. Um, <laughs> more importantly, yeah. that may not have been there at the time, but they had, um, in the House of Menanda, I studied that house for my degree. I'm literally, a couple of months ago, did like a virtual tour of it on my computer for my Open Uni. And so I was really excited to go there. And there's me like getting quite emotional about how, you know, how much I'm enjoying it, taking all these photos. And then I had there were these two kids, English kids, who's probably about 16. And the other, his sister was like 14 or something. And the mum was like, oh, come and look at this mosaic. And the kid was like, oh, I've seen about 10 bloody mosaics already. <laughs> they all look exactly the same. And I was like, yeah, I can kind of I can kind of see your point. Like, to me, I'm going, oh, and that represents this. And this is represents the Greek influence on that and blah, blah, blah. And he's just going, oh, it's another fucking mosaic. <laughs> like, I would not go there if, like, I would not take um, teenagers there or children yeah. there. It is not. It is, yeah. Like I've, I've, I've been to my fair share of like ruins in other countries on family holidays. But while I could appreciate them, I know my sister at times was like, oh, "I don't want to be doing more ruins." Mm. Like I went to the Vatican when I was fourteen, and it was absolutely boiling. And um, we were with school, and one of my friends was, um, she had heat stroke, so she was really unwell. So we were kind of going through shortcuts just to keep her cool. Mm. And it was, I mean, it was very interesting, and I'd love to go back now. Um, but to be honest, even then with the Vatican, you just get overloaded and it's like, oh, another priceless statue. Oh, great. <laughs> you know, and another unique Leonardo da Vinci. Like, oh, can I go now? <laughs> you do just get overwhelmed the, the, by it. The number of works of like historical and like cr- uh, cultural value I must have seen in my life and just like completely glossed over. Mm. Probably a bit know. depressing. When you know, you know, which is why I would say if you do go to Pompeii, do a little bit of research, maybe watch a couple of documentaries on it if you can find anything. Um, and if you're, you know, get a guide, hire me if you like. Um, I'll gladly do it. Um, do get a guide. It can, 
the people in the guided tours didn't look like they were having that much fun so maybe research who you get your guide with but the podcast I listened to is really interesting I I think Kate should be everyone's guide I'd love to do that actually I'd love to do tour guiding somewhere like that I mean I speak French but I'd have to learn a couple of other languages to do it because you know it's like Mandarin and Korean Japanese and all sorts of places the tour you know tourism is so much bigger nowadays bonjour comment tu t'appelles it's but it's learning how to say like the 15th century and things like that um which is a little bit more difficult for me but generally it was it was absolutely fantastic and I will say just to bring it back to even more geeky things going around Sorrento it was exactly like Assassin's Creed (laughs) I kept saying and my sister got really annoyed because her husband plays Assassin's Creed too and when they were there um last year she was like he said mentioned like oh you know isn't it funny but like the way the streets are all laid out and stuff I was like oh my god you'd you'd be surprised like I do a um a video game podcast with someone called Gavin and he constantly talks about that with the Assassin's Creed games is that the amount of time he's put into playing them he's gone to European countries and been like I swear I was in this street in the game like it's just it's not so much I mean, I've, I've not been to the cities in... Uh, well, I've been to Venice, but I can't remember much of it. Um, but I've not been to the cities, like, in Assassin's Creed, like uh, uh, Florence and things like that. But the general feel and, yeah. like, the general layout of the streets, I felt like I could have just taken a running jump and, like, leapt on <laughs> one of those buildings. You could have leapt off of a spire and fallen into a bale of hay. Exactly. This is one of the contributing factors as to why I really want to play Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Although Gavin is also a reason because I really like the song he did for that. (laughs) He did a very good song for that. If if anyone wants to hear his songs about Assassin's Creed, um, he's Miracle of Sound on YouTube. He does some very good video game related songs. But mm. um, but for capturing the feel of London as well, I really want to play it and see what... Because I know we talked about this on the podcast back when they released the first screenshots of it, I think. And like yeah. seeing the screenshots of Paddington and like the Great Western Railway and stuff. I will say about the new Assassin's Creed, it is the one that I've enjoyed most in probably about four or five years. But it's going to take... I will literally not even get there for four or five years. I've been playing Assassin's Creed. I can't remember when I first started playing it, but maybe maybe six months, maybe even longer than that. I've like not even almost finished the second one. <laughs> I haven't even done the first one. <laughs> Like, I'm only, yeah, I'm on the second one. I haven't even started the first one. The third one I've done, and there's, like, a bazillion more. So I will be playing Assassin's Creed Syndicate in, like, five to ten years. Here's what I'll say. When we're talking about the Assassin's Creed games after three, less and less the, like, the order you play them makes less and less of a difference. Well, it's kind of not making Um, a difference now, but I just don't want to... A lot of it more to do as somebody who is, like, very casual and is often playing series that have got loads and loads of things it can be frustrating like with call of duty you kind of as they evolve you're kind of taking steps backwards then because if you go to yeah. like the latest one there it's obviously well hopefully their best yet is what yeah there there yeah and there you is go back and it's like oh this feature that i really liked isn't there and now i've got to relearn these hotkeys which isn't that big a deal and can actually you know i especially from our point of view as quite nerdy people quite that's understandable you know what I mean um it is interesting but at the same time I'm like I don't want to spoil it for myself I can certainly appreciate that and that's actually a really good reason to delay it but when you eventually get to the one in London the one in London's pretty good um 
The female assassin that you can play as is probably my favorite Assassin's Creed protagonist so far. Okay. She's mm. a badass lady in a cape with a cane who just like beats people up with a cane and steals That's all the money and she's very cool. Yeah, I saw the Feminist Frequency review of um, Assassin's Creed Syndicate and that painted her in a, a good light, yeah. She's. I have the same problem with Assassin's Creed Syndicate as I have with um, Saints Row Get Out of Hell which is that I find the female protagonist that is available far more compelling than the male protagonist. However, you cannot play the entire game as them because whenever something plot-centric or a, like, oh no, now it's time for us to do the final fight, you get forced uh, to be like a male character. The, like, she's clearly not the protagonist. Yeah, like, uh, I don't want to talk too much about Syndicate's implementation in order to not ruin anything, but it's very similar to how I felt about Get Out of Hell, which is a bit of an older game, so I can talk a little more about it. Mm -hmm. Um, That game, the biggest problem I had with it was that I played the entire game as the female protagonist option, and then it got to the final fight about against the last boss, and the female protagonist got kidnapped and was suddenly put out of action, and you had to play as the male character, and then the male character Uh, saved the day, and everything was thanks to him, because he saved the day, and all of the cutscenes reference him. And, like, every time you did anything as the female protagonist, you'd be like, oh, I beat this boss. And then it would be like, oh, the guy over there, Gat, saved the day. It's like, yeah, no, it's he like... didn't. Fuck off. He's done nothing. <laughs> he stood in the lobby the entire game until the last battle. Uh, so... <laughs> did a fuck off. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about Syndicate at times, which is that at times it will be like, oh, I did this thing. No, he did it. No, no he didn't. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> And it, it gets a little irritating at times, but Evie's a fantastic protagonist. I love her. Um, other things. I thought of the Martian. Oh, yeah, tell oh you. yeah, I saw the Martian. Um, I quite liked it. It got kind of boring, I think. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, I got a little bit bored. Um, sort of about three quarters of the way through, I was like, oh my god, just finish, please. Um. Oh, I thought they could have like the first half hour could have been done way way differently. Yeah. And then the second bit would have... It had my baby in it, though. Which one? Who's your baby? Sebastian Stan. Oh, yeah. Who fucking got with Kate Mara, and I hate Kate Mara because her sister is a racist part of turd, so I'm really (laughs) upset. I don't think he got with her. She just kissed his helmet. Mate, at the end, they have a baby together. Do they? (laughs) Yeah. I missed that. (laughs) I think that counts as getting with. It's been a long day for Tilly, forgive her. Clearly I wasn't paying enough attention at the end, which I think is a testament. I think is a testament. Somebody comes up and somebody comes up. Oh, we have a baby together and we're curled up. Yeah, I don't think they're together though. (laughs) It's a lesbian friend. It's like lesbians. Like, oh, what good gal pal. (laughs) Uh, I can't as well because I want Sebastian Stan to be mine. Mm-hmm. This actually um, reminds me, like, what was the what was your opinion of Interstellar? Because I finally saw that and have opinions. That was that goes in a little slot called Kate didn't see it, but it caused her so much pro- so many problems at work because of the sound. She will never watch it. <laughs> oh right, we I had so many complaints because it's really loud. But he mumbles and yes, this is my fault. yeah. It's really poorly audio mixed. So, oh, okay, yeah, so it's well, not- no, so that wasn't just, just your that wasn't just your experience. That is a problem with the mix of that film 
and the director has been asked about it multiple times. He's like, no, so that's, how I. I, yeah, that's how I wanted it to be. I do not have his paycheck. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because it's... I, I did see it, and it is... It's hard to describe. Basically, I, I'm not sure if it was worth seeing or not, because it starts out with this pretext of being a science fiction film, but has does so many things wrong about that. Um, mm. Like, it's... one does not weld rockets when you're making them and yet they're showing like welding arcs when you're constructing a rocket if you weld stuff like it will fall apart when it tries to leave the atmosphere and you also do not slingshot freaking black holes that is not yeah. possible yeah the, the films the film's use of science is dubious <laughs> at best yeah however once it does its reveal which i won't spoil mm-hmm. um like it's suddenly then more forgivable because like there were so many science fiction like it's supposed to be some element of science when it's sci-fi um there were so many like failings on that point that i was just trying to enjoy the film as like an action piece and it does okay on those fronts and actually it's worth saying that the robot ais in it are fantastic and they really save the film yes they are tars and case are just brilliant um they have really real wit about them but yeah once you realize what's actually going on in the film suddenly it like changes gear and you actually realize okay i can finally settle into this but it takes until like the last third of the film for it to actually do that i I think its biggest problem is it's not the film that it tells people on the offset that it is yeah It, it isn't the film it presents itself to be and that causes some issues in terms of getting invested in it from the offset Mm. is that fair to say yeah, and it also suffers from pacing problems because the, the, particularly in the middle of the film, I felt that there were so many characters and little dialogue things, little stories going on that are trying to cram in and then suddenly the reveal and it's just one character yeah. doing most of the stuff. It's kind of... Uh... And, you know, the aforementioned problems with audio mix where you can't understand what people are saying half the time. Yeah. But I was just reminded of that because of the thoughts of Matt Damon in space, which seems to be a genre <laughs> into itself now. <laughs> Nicely done, Laura. <laughs> yeah, had to get it in there because, yeah, Matt Damon's ruined for everyone. Well, well I didn't end up thinking of Team America that. throughout this film anyway, yeah. though, because it's but so Matt much Damon. like America saves the day kind of thing. Well, <laughs> is this The Martian? No, I was still talking about Interstellar. Yeah, I was going to say, because in The Martian, it's interesting that they don't, I can't remember if they say that they're NASA, but there isn't any like, oh, because we're American, blah, 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 blah. And like, they, they actually um, team up with someone else, don't they? Yeah, they, t- they there's like other countries getting involved and stuff. And um, they have like NASA spacesuits and things. But in the book, which my brother-in-law um, read and really enjoyed and said... He he loved the film. We went to see it together, but he said um, he was so disappointed in Matt Damon. He said Matt Damon was completely rubbish, and I completely agreed. He was so soulless. But um, I don't think in the book it's mentioned at all where they are from. So it's just kind of like, yeah, you kind of assume it's America, but it's just a big, big ass country. And in the film, they have um, like NASA spaces and stuff. But I, it's not got that whole yeah. jingoistic patriotism. Like they've tried to make it for a more universal, um, what's that word? Audience. 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 Yeah. yeah. And that a big part of that is apparently that um, 
particularly for the Chinese audience, because China is a really big movie-going audience that's also very patriotic and loves space films. Yes. And they are not big into space films that centralise America as America does it all and saves everyone. Yeah, the, what was that thing we had? Oh, the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that thing. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting that basically the way they present it is, is initially it's primarily the problem of whoever sent him up, but then it becomes just a world problem of there is a human being trapped out there on another planet. We need to get them back. And it slowly becomes more of a world issue than a whoever sent him up issue. And that's nice. That's good. Uh, speaking of things being America's problem to fix, <laughs> I've been watching the first season of 24 this week. Ooh. Because I haven't watched that in ages and I couldn't really remember how I felt about it. So... Over the last three days or so, I've watched 18 hours of 24 just in the background while working because the joy of working from home, I can just have dumb action on in the background and be like, oh, what's going on? Okay, back to work. Basically, 24 is the story of the secret, uh, a government secret agent who has the worst conceivable day imaginable. In 24 hours, his family are kidnapped probably about half a dozen times. Uh, he is he is like blackmailed into trying to kill someone several times. He is kidnapped himself several times, and in the space of a twenty four hour span of his life, just like everything conceivable that could go wrong to him or anyone around him or anyone that he cares about, everything goes wrong <laughs> every single possible time. And somehow, American government agent manages to save everything because everything is great. Because Kiefer uh, Sutherland. Because Kiefer Sutherland. And I forgot how great Kiefer Sutherland is in this. He is yeah. he is really amazing in this. But it's a show that in order to enjoy, you have to go in understanding the slightly ludicrous nature of it. That for 24 episodes, no matter how much things look like they're going to be okay, you have to be like, right, that character who looks like they're finally safe something's going to make sure that they're not safe. They're not going to get back to where they need to get to safely. Something's going to happen. And without fail, every single time it does. Um, that being said, having just finished the series, it did catch me off guard. I've watched mm. it before. And even I, even having watched like multiple series of this show before, I did not see the twist at the end of season one coming. It still caught me off guard, and that is a testament to how solidly written this show is. It had surprises that, having watched it maybe five or six years ago and like forgotten about the show, I was still like, I was looking out for, oh, oh, was that character in later series? Do I remember them? What was going on with them? I didn't remember the big twist that came up, and I was like, oh, what's going on? How did they do this? So, I really like Twenty Four as a dumb action series. Hmm. It's, I seem, it's it's very clever. I seem to remember being rather gripped by it. And again, similarly, I haven't seen it since I was at university. I watched up to about day three, I think. And my yeah. main memories of it are, I think it's the moment in day three when he's uh, in a cell or something and is finally eating food. <laughs> you see him eating something. Yes. Um, also it the, is, I yeah. do remember the plot twist and how much that caught me off guard. But what, also the season the one in season one. Yeah. In the final episode. Yeah. But yeah. also is it Chloe, I think? The one who just frowns at everyone. 
There's a, char- uh, a, a character in The Office who might only be in, like, day two or something, but just has the perfect, like... Not in day one, I don't think, but... Oh, um, okay. yeah, I, like I day two yeah. character, but yeah. Just I will say, like... disposition yeah. is brilliant. S- season three or day three is about as far as I remember enjoying, and it went very downhill after that, but I remember the first three seasons being really strong, and having rewatched season one, I'm like, yes, this is good. I like all of the acting on board, um... Uh, I didn't realize until very recently, um, actually, well, I didn't realize until today that um, what's the character who, the actor who plays someone in Supernatural? Name me the three main actors in Supernatural, Tilly. Jensen Ackles, Jared Padalecki, Misha Collins. Misha Collins. Misha Collins is in season one of um, 24 and he has really super long hair and he's foreign. And I'm like, this is not the Misha Collins I know. (laughs) I will have to show Tilly like a short clip of Misha Collins in this later because I didn't recognize him until several episodes in. I was like, where do I know this person from? That's Misha Collins. <laughs> so, yeah, I like 24 a lot more than like I was worried that I might not enjoy it. And then I watched it. and I was like, oh, no, it's still good. It's still good. It's one of these things that definitely has a cult legacy as well, because I saw something. I can't remember what it was at all. But I saw something in recent months where there was a telephone in the background and it rang as the do-do-do-do. It's the 24, like, it's... I've forgotten the name of the agency and everything, but I know that ringtone. And, like, for a number of years... CTU. CTU, yes. Yeah, the Counter-Terrorism Unit. (laughs) People having that as the ringtones and it's just the best thing. I'm very tempted to put it as my text alert for a little bit because (laughs) I'm getting really into this show again. Um... And the other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about this week, very briefly, is I did some some actual like journalism this last week that I want to talk about just because I, I like talking about the process of journalism and the thing I do is my job. So uh, very brief version of this story. Um, uh, around two weeks ago now, or about 10, 10, 11 days ago, I ran a news story about a DLC called Rush of Blood that hadn't been announced and was going to be a DLC for a game called Until Dawn that came out um, a couple of months back. And I talked about how it was like this virtual reality DLC that was going to be entirely on rails and a first person shooter and basically nothing like the game that it was based on. And nowhere really believed me. And then this week at Paris Games Week, the game got announced six days after I announced it. And I was like, ah, told you all, I'm a journalist. Look at me. So the short version of how this came about, I got an anonymous tip from someone who had been focus testing this piece of content. And I sort of did some fact checking with them and saw like, oh, there's, you know, emails from them to you inviting you to the place where it was being tested. I managed to find a second person who had also received the email and asked them both questions that basically they both gave me the same information. So I was like, okay, this is probably a real thing. Um, Interestingly, the reason why I didn't find out about this initially, the game had been tested in London in late August. And I didn't find out about this until mid-October because the person who tested the DLC hadn't played the game that the DLC was going to be for until about two weeks ago and suddenly was like oh this is dlc the the thing i played several months ago was dlc for this probably and reached out to me 
So I did all my source checking and yeah, journalism's a weird thing. So I got to t- uh, reveal a game and then the d- the developers said that they, they were like, nope, it's not real, you're lying. And then six days later it got announced. So I was like, yeah, go me. Woo. This is a developer who seems to need to learn the definition of an NDA contract. Pretty much. Um, again, this is not information I should have heard the people who told me were under nda but oh right (laughs) um, yeah it's the the situation as it is is that there are too many people that are under nda that knew this information from around that time period that i can safely say i had two sources and where those sources came from and that is not enough information for who broke nda to be identifiable so I'm a journalist, and that basically this is means... some like Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah, so, someone someone broke their legal contracts and told me a thing secretly, and I found a way to ensure that they wouldn't get in trouble if I talked about it, and then talked about it because Were they called deep throat. Pardon? Were they called deep throat? No, they they weren't. <laughs> you understand that? Do we get this reference? Because this is a very weird reference. If you don't, no, I don't get this reference. So I'm kind of concerned. <laughs> The Watergate scandal, the informant, the source for the Watergate scandal, the codename was Deep Throat. Oh, I did not get <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I realised how weird that sounded. Just, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the movies about it, I think, is called Deep Throat about the Watergate scandal. Okay, but yeah, that was the thing I did this week that I got very, I felt very validated when that got revealed. I was like, look at me, I do journalism. Everyone, give me jobs, please. <laughs> Give me a freelance work. Yeah. Uh, As a complete segue, I just remembered, if I may, I couldn't let this past fortnight pass. That was a bad sentence. uh, Without acknowledging Star Wars fan squee. Considering we had the Force Awakens most recent trailer uh, came out. You you saw that yesterday, didn't you? Yeah, I saw it at the cinema. It made me really excited for Star Wars. (laughs) I'm not excited for Star Wars. Well, it's because you work in a cinema. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wasn't actually that fussed about the trailer itself, because, I mean, it, it's Star Wars, there are shooty explosions, there are cool-looking spaceships and stuff. But it was when I was... Um, uh, okay, I need to segue into talking about the fact I recently did uh, lightsaber combat training with people from EA DICE who are making Star Wars Battlefront. Okay. Um, and so I was chatting like casually with the people there, because they're all Star Wars fans, obviously. And uh, one of the guys there pointed out that uh, the most significant thing in that trailer is that we see a clip of Han Solo saying that everything is true, all of it. Everything. Everything ever. Bananas are true. It's like... True. (laughs) Everything. Everything anyone has ever said in the history of the universe is true. Well, no. Okay. One of the characters asks, like, is it true? And he says, yes, every word of it. They're obviously talking about the, the, the stories of the Jedi and stuff. However, it has spun off some very good memes. Um, but yeah, like, it, the, the significance of that is that Han Solo seems to now believe in the Force. Like, mm, all through the previous not? films. I'm not very, like, I hate Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the film for you, then. <laughs> well, I don't hate Star Wars, but it has lots of negative connotations for me, and like this year has just brought many more and then when it I mean it's not going to be too busy where I work not like Spectre has been in which nearly every screening has been sold out and we are having 13 to 14 screenings a day so we're having about 2,000 people through the door in a day it's hell um yeah so Star Wars isn't going to be as busy but 
I just have no enthusiasm for it. What's going to be pretty busy in the first couple of days here in Sweden, because as I think I might have mentioned, it actually gets premiered here before anywhere else in the world. Okay, just be nice to any if you got if anybody goes and sees any film in the cinema, be nice to the people working in the cinema. That's just a general good rule of thumb. Okay, we'll be cross with you. (laughs) Yeah, so so I'm really interested to see like basically. Han Solo's evidently been out in the galaxy a bit and seems to now be a believer in the Force, which given that half of his raison d'etre in the the original sequel films um, was that he, he was just had no truck with it. It's kind of interesting. The other interesting thing is people talking about the fact that it did not take people long to notice that Luke Skywalker does not turn up anywhere in this trailer. And there are some interview quotes that basically imply... There's a good reason that you haven't seen him in footage yet. Mm. Even though he's got, like, I think second billing for the film. And there have been some interesting fan theories. I'm not certain that I, well, I definitely don't agree with them, but I find them interesting. Including those suggesting that Luke Skywalker is the villain. Oh, this film oh, that he is Kylo I Ren this so much now, all you are doing is making me hate this stupid franchise even more like uh, this is the worst I like I I re I watched the first one like the the we're talking t- time of release um the first one a couple of years ago and I was like yeah I can see the hype like it's a good film I enjoyed it and I think I watched the other two but I don't really remember. And I was like, yeah, they're good films. And then I was with um, a friend who is obsessed with Star Wars. And we watched the first one again. And they were all talking about how um, the newer ones were really bad. And I was like, there's no way they can be that bad. Like, I watched them in the cinema. They weren't that bad. Oh, my God, they are that bad. (laughs) They are. They are. Like, they are so racist and they are so awful and I well, hate what, what are you on about Misa Jar Jar Binks like what it was like Game of Thrones level fucking Ooh. Ugh. Game of Thrones connection Brienne of Tarth is the silver metal stormtrooper oh, in yes. the new Star Wars I didn't know this I'm really excited now no, also I'm... yeah Miltos Yerolamu who does the sword water dancing training at Nine Worlds okay. And was Sirio Farrell in the first series. He's in it. Seemingly, he's got to be practicing a, a lightsaber combat somewhere. So that I have trained in water dancing with somebody who, who's in the Star Wars film. Ooh. And now I do lightsaber combat. And I got into lightsaber combat because of him. So I'm just like, <laughs> oh, my God. So I completely but forgot about that. That means that he might be like too famous for Nine Worlds then. Like literally the only way I will enjoy this film is if Gwendolyn Christie takes me to go and see it <laughs> and even then i probably still won't like it right what, what if me and tilly take you one of you will have to dress up as gwendolyn christie <laughs> we can do that no i just oh i don't oh like there is nothing like working in a cinema to make you hate blockbusters i i can appreciate that it's i just, certainly can it's the worst and saying that we have we have been lucky we've had really really nice guests but it's just so busy and one thing goes wrong and your day is completely ruined mm. so yeah like, we give out um you know we have uh ways to smooth thing, things over like giving free things to if there's a problem and giving refunds and somebody came in and looked uh one of the guys came in for his shift 
and there was like just the tip, the stubs of all the things that I'd have to give, I'd had to give out during the day. And he just picked it up and was like, that's how your day has been then. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that is how it has been. Um, Before we finish up this episode, I do very quickly while we're on Star Wars, want to mention a theory that has been floating around for a long time that like, I don't think gets talked about enough. And I really like Um, Jar Jar Binks. No, no, no. Uh, This is, this is the theory about why stormtroopers are terrible shots. And there's a couple of these that float around, but I would suggest looking into this if you like the idea of um, like fan law for Star Wars. Basically, the idea that um, the stormtroopers, when chasing um, like Han, Leia, and Luke and everyone back to their ship, deliberately miss their shots because they require the um, they need them to get away in the Millennium Falcon so that they can track them and find out where the rebels are. And that that explains why there's a lot of close corridors um, encounters where they are making deliberately, like obviously bad shots and moments where several stormtroopers who are armed will run away from one armed Han Solo and just run away. And it's because they've been given orders not to shoot. And I really like it watching some of the scenes like with that in mind. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So Mm. look into that if you're ever curious about Star Wars theories. Either that or just, you know, stormtroopers are self-aware that they're in a film and like, nope, can't shoot the good guys. (laughs) See, also the fan theory I discovered today in which Jar Jar Binks is proposed as not only Force-sensitive, but in league with Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. it makes a scary (laughs) amount of sense. It really does. Um, There is also the... um, I again on stormtroopers there's also the theory that stormtroopers uh basically because they are all clones of one person that basically as a as a group the stormtroopers are basically all of the same mental sensibility and they all have the same reaction to seeing what Luke and the rebels are doing which is oh that makes a lot of sense let's try and sympathize with them not realizing that every other stormtrooper is having the same mental situation. So they're all sort of trying to slyly be the ones to be like, hey, I kind of sympathize with the rebels. I'm not going to shoot them. And all of the stormtroopers have done the same because they're all clones. (laughs) And I kind of think that's hilarious. So yeah, there we go. Should we we wrap up there for this week? Yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, there we go. Uh, thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Geek Night In. As always, it's been a pleasure to do. Time to do self-promotion and those kind of things. Tilly, where can we find you on the internet? First start of the writing straight until morning. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm at Gathering Tilly on Twitter, and you can find me on Archive of Our Own. Uh, it's Valence Killer, and I have a blog which I can't remember what it is. It's my pinned tweet on Twitter, so... Go check out Twitter. Twitter. uh, Gathering Tilly on Twitter. Check the pinned tweet. All sorts of links on there. Uh, Gemma, what about you? You can still find me on uh, on Tinternet. Tinternet? (laughs) I thought you were going to say Tinder then. I was like, whoa! (laughs) To good, to bad, and to ugly. (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, Michael McIntyre flashbacks now. Yeah, um, on Twitter at Reagan Goth. You can also find me on a different iTunes podcast. Um, <gasps> the Diversity podcast launched um, a week or two ago. That's and... that one that you run. Yeah. 
Well, sort of. We co-host it. Um, episode two will be up shortly after this one in which we talk about uh, women in games initiatives and what they do and how they do the things. True. And Kate, what about you? Best place to find me at the moment where I'm running my super cute inclusive beauty blog is mascaraandchill.tumblr.com. I follow you there. You do good stuff. Everyone should go follow that Tumblr. Well, I'm kind of like, I'm finding it quite, um, it's quite like self-indulgent, but I'm finding it quite like self-carey kind of thing. I'm really lovely. And I'm also trying to find, um, like I've got to do a bit more research, but I'm trying to find um, like low spoon kind of mm. uh, makeup products and kind of review things in terms of like, is this easy to use? If, for example, um, you're, you might have some sort of physical or mental uh physical or like energy based issues something like that like I I love makeup so much but yeah you've been sharing some really nice inclusive stuff on there like the other day you were sharing something about like um men's makeup tips and places to look and men wearing makeup and that's cis men non-binary um like trans mask all sorts of various um genders are really big in the makeup community and while the makeup community community can be you know shitty as all communities especially online can be there is a lot of very popular um makeup artists and bloggers and sort of just people within that community from all around the world from all sorts of backgrounds and things and like that are getting promoted so it's kind of a lovely place to be yeah you've got it you've you're starting to cultivate a very nice little space so everyone go check that out where is it again remind everyone mascaraandchill.tumblr.com Woo. And then, as always, you can find me at Laura K. Buzz on pretty much everything. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll have another episode for you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.